0: Precious God, we thank you again for blessing us with this time in your presence. And now, as we have prepared our hearts and minds to receive from you, as we have given unto you not just uh, our gifts, but our gifts of praise and of worship, our devotion and adoration. We now pray in turn that you will give to us that which you have prepared directly from your throne. We ask, God, that we will be able to have ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, and hearts to perceive and to understand the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God, that we may know and understand what was, what is, and what is to come, how this kingdom works and how it operates so that we may know how to work and operate it, that we may be blessed by it. So we ask that you would watch over your word at this time. See that it does what you have purposed it to do even before the foundation of this world. So that we may leave this place better than we have come in. Changed, thoroughly equipped and ready to do all that you've called us to do both in the church as well as in the world. So we thank you for giving us this opportunity. We pray now that you will move powerfully and mightily in your spirit and by your word for our good and for your glory. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, we have been on a series now throughout the month of January. We're continuing it through February until we are complete with the particular questions that has prompted this particular series. But if you haven't been here uh, since this year in 2020, we've been on a series called Sneak Peek. Sneak peek and what sneak peek has been about is simply that God given us a sneak peek or a glimpse behind the veil or what is on the other side of the curtain, okay? What we can expect when we leave this world, when we leave this life, what does the afterlife have to offer us? That is what this particular series has been about. And we went through all kinds of different things, why we believe, what we believe, uh, the final destinations of everybody who will leave this life. Uh, We went through so many things concerning the afterlife, but we now have finally gotten to the point where we are ready to answer the questions that prompted this particular series. And if you remember, there were four different questions that we said we were going to answer throughout this series. The first question was this, where did... The pre-cross Christians go when they died. Those who believed in God, those who believed in God's word, but they were around before Jesus Christ came, bled, died, rose again. Where did those Christians or believers go when they died? Uh, Question two, what is up with the lion laying down with the lamb? I see it in artwork, I see it on statues, in different books. What is the lion laying with the lamb all about? Is it truly biblical? If so, where is it and what is its meaning? Question three, is purgatory real? Is purgatory real or is it just something that mankind has made up for different reasons? And then question four, if I deny Christ in order to save my life, Will I go to hell, or would God understand? These are the four questions that prompted this uh, series on the afterlife, and so now we are answering those four questions. If you were here last week, we already tackled question number one, where uh, Christians or believers uh, who died before Christ and the cross, where they went when they died. We said they went to paradise. They went to the third heaven, whether you believe that is just a different compartment in the grave or whether you believe that is the third heaven in the very dwelling place of God. It's a moot point because nobody was complaining in Luke 16, but the rich man who lifted up his eyes in hell, Lazarus was not complaining, which means he was still in the goodness of God, which means he was still in the presence of God. So it is a moot point. Everybody who died before the cross went to the presence of God. Everybody who dies after the cross, believing in Jesus Christ and his word, goes into the presence of God. Whether that's in Abraham's bosom or in the third heaven, I believe is a moot point. But we took some time to answer that last week. So tonight is question number two. Question number two What is up with the lion? laying with the lamb. Has anybody seen those pictures or artwork? I've never seen that, okay, to be honest with you. (laughs) To be honest with you, when I read that question and they said, you know, I I see this artwork with the lion, laying with the lamb uh, everywhere growing up. I never saw that before, okay? So I actually had to look it up, okay? What, what are they talking about? And, of course, I saw pictures of this great big lion just kind of laying there on the ground and the, uh, the lamb right beside it. Uh, I, got, I got a chance to see it just by looking it up, but I wasn't accustomed to that actual picture or artwork. But I do know and understand, I guess, then where this question is coming from. We just finished watching the Super Bowl last uh, Sunday, and there are people who like the Super Bowl for different reasons, okay? Some like the Super Bowl for the game, some like the Super Bowl for the halftime show, some like the Super Bowl for the commercials, okay? And it is because the commercials are so good, they're so interesting, that we can now no longer take a break from the Super Bowl, (laughs) Uh, Unless you have a DVR, you can't take any breaks. (laughs) It used to be you can go to the bathroom when the commercial came on. (laughs) You can go get something to eat when the commercial came on. Not anymore, because not only do you not want to miss the game, you don't want to miss what? The commercial. (laughs) But we are beginning to see that the Super Bowl commercials really aren't as super as they used to be. And that is because they are starting to play Super Bowl-type commercials year-round, okay? Every company is vying for our attention and trying to get our our attention for their product, and so you will find, quote-unquote, Super Bowl-like ads throughout the year. And there's one in particular that comes to mind when I was preparing for this particular message, It shows a woman in a car, she's driving up, she stops at a light, she looks up at a billboard and she sees a sign that says wireless for $15 a month. (laughs) Wireless service, $15 a month. And she looks at that and she says, wireless service, $15 a month, that's not right. And all of a sudden this illustrated fox pops up into her car (laughs) and he says, oh yeah, that's right, but I tell you what's not right Carpeted showers. That's not right. (laughs) And it goes to this particular scene where this man is taking a a shower and his shower is completely carpeted. And just looking at that kind of gives you the heebie jeebies. I mean, just imagine taking a shower where everything is is carpeted around you. But they're saying that's what's not right. If you want to know what's not right, you shouldn't mix carpet with a shower. And they weren't the first one to come up with this concept. If you remember a few years back, you had Oakwood Express. Oakwood Express also had a campaign kind of like this, similar to it, where they called it, That's Not Natural. That's Not Natural, and they would take... Uh, a scene where a farmer he's taken a hybrid of a chicken and a pig and he's put them together uh, to kind of save time and resources and the caption comes across and says that's not natural (laughs) that's not natural and they were advertising how their wood is natural their oak is real their furniture is of quality but that that you're seeing there is not natural Well, I see the same thing, or I envision the same thing, or I get the very same feeling when I think about the lion laying down with the lamb. I, too, think that's not right. I, too, think that's not natural. It's kind of like whenever you see uh, cats and dogs hanging out. Anybody see that, where you have a cat and a dog, and they're just playing together? What do you say to yourself? That's not right. (laughs) That's not natural. Why? Because they are sworn enemies. They are natural born enemies. Dogs chase cats. Cats run away from dogs. And so when you see a cat hanging out with a dog or playing together, you think in your mind, that's not right. That's not natural. And it is the same way with a lion. Laying down with the lamb. The reason why we think that's not right, the reason why we think that's not natural, is because lions don't lay down with lambs. Lions do what? Eat the lambs. (laughs) Lions eat the lambs. They don't lay down with the lambs. But what we're going to discover today is it is actually the lion eating the lamb that's not natural. What we're going to discover today is what's not right and what's not natural is actually the lion eating the lamb. That is what's not right. (laughs) That is what's not natural. And we're going to discover that today. You see, the way the world is, is not the way the world was, (laughs) nor how the world will be. Okay? The way that the world is right now is not the way the world always was. Nor is it the way the world is going to be. Now, I remember a few years ago, this particular trainer, he came out with a program called Fat to Fit. From Fat to Fit. You're thinking, well, what's so special about that? That's what every trainer ought to be doing, right? (laughs) Taking people from fat to fit. (laughs) But this particular program was different because this trainer actually went from fit to fat to fit. (laughs) So why in the world would the trainer go from fit to fat to fit? Well, this is why. He would have his clients and he would tell them what they needed to do. He would tell them how they needed to work out. He would tell them what they would need to eat and all kinds of regimens that they need to do in order to fulfill their goals that they had. But he said, it will always occur to me. My clients will come to me and they would say, you know, it's hard for me to do what you're asking me to do. Now, I, I can't eat like that all the time. I, I can't discipline my body like that. And they would tell me this. They say, it's easy for you to say all this. You've been in shape all your life. It's easy for you to tell me I need to be eating this way and working out this way. You've been an athlete all your life. You've been fit all your life. And it occurred to him they were right. (laughs) They were right in that assumption because he had been fit all his life. He had been an athlete all his life. He didn't know what it meant to be fat or out of shape or overweight. He had no idea what that felt like. Therefore, he couldn't empathize with them. He couldn't sympathize with them. So he says, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go from fit (laughs) to fat. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. He let himself go. True story. Y'all can look it up fit to fat. He let himself go. He started to eat whatever he wanted to eat, whenever he wanted to eat it. Fast food, greasy food, it didn't matter, ice cream, sodas. He would sit there, lay on the couch, and he literally let himself go where he went from being fit (laughs) to being fat. But after he took that transformation on and he was so out of shape and uh, so lazy and lethargic and didn't have energy, couldn't do anything. After he went through that transformation, he said, okay, okay. Now it's time to go from being fat to being fit. I'm going to reverse what I did to myself. I'm going to begin to eat right. I'm going to begin to exercise. I'm going to begin to sleep well again. I'm going to begin to do all these things I tell my clients to do. So that when I tell them what they need to do, it will come from a place of empathy, experience. Because I would have gone through it myself. I'm going to go from being fit to being fat to being fit again. And that's exactly what he did. Well, how many of you know the world is going to have the exact same transformation? (laughs) The world is going to have the exact same transformation from good to bad to good again. (laughs) From fallen to being fixed, from wrecked to restored, from cursed to cured, (laughs) the world is going to go through the the very same transformation, and that is what the lion laying down with the lamb is all about. So I'm going to explain this to you and how it uh, deals with the afterlife. This is part five of our series sneak peek. We're simply going to call it from cursed to cured. okay From cursed to cured. okay Number one, the question was this, is the lion laying down with the lamb biblical? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. The lion laying down with the lamb is very much biblical, okay? Well where is, is it found and what does it mean? Well, If you have your Bibles, go with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1, Isaiah is going to prophesy some things. This is future, okay? He's going to prophesy some things. Notice what he says. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. He says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his ways. Who is Isaiah describing here? Jesus. Isaiah is describing Jesus. How do we know that Isaiah is describing Jesus? He says because a rod from Jesse is going to come forth. Okay. Well, who was Jesse? Jesse was the son of David or the father of David. So you had Jesse, who begot eight sons, I believe, and one of them being David. David was the one who was going to produce the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. That's why Jesus is known as the son of David. So the rod that's going to shoot forth from Jesse would first be David, of course, but ultimately it would be the Messiah. It would be the Christ. And the Christ is going to come and he's going to do certain things when he comes. Now, what Isaiah is describing is not the first coming of Christ. That is not what Isaiah is describing. He's not describing the baby in the manger. He's not describing even Jesus on the cross. He's not describing the first coming of Christ. How do we know that? Because he says when this um, rod of Jesse comes forth, he's going to slay the wicked. He's going to speak forth a word. A sword is going to come from his mouth and he is going to slay the wicked. Well, when Jesus came the first time, were there wicked people around? Absolutely. <laughs> when Jesus left this world, were there wicked people around? Absolutely. <laughs> Even today, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus has left. Are there wicked people around? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So that's how we know, number one, Isaiah is describing Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And number two, he is not describing his first coming. He is describing his second. He is describing his return. He is describing the second coming of Christ. And when the second coming of Christ happens, Jesus Christ is going to come doing certain things. So contrary to popular opinion, the rapture of the church, which we believe in, is not the second coming of Christ. That's not the. No, we believe in the rapture of the church. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. But when that happens, and it can happen in any moment, <laughs> at any moment, we can be raptured out of here. That, however, is not the second coming of Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ will not come to this earth. The Bible says we will meet him Where? in the air. (laughs) We will be caught up in the air to meet Jesus. We will meet him in the clouds. So that is not the second coming of the Christ. The second coming of Christ or the return of Christ is actually found in the book of Revelation. Go with me to Revelation 19. Revelation, last book of your Bible. (laughs) Turn to the back. Go to chapter 19, starting in verse 11, we read the second coming of Christ. And it's not the rapture. This is the second coming of Christ. It says in Revelation 19, 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. The very same thing Isaiah prophesied. (laughs) When the rod of Jesse comes back, he is going to judge with righteousness. So it says, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire and his head on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, what we talked about last week. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Again, exactly what Isaiah prophesied. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Iron does not break. Iron does not bend. Iron is not compromised. When the Messiah comes back, the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the Bible says he is going to rule with a rod of iron. All right. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) When Jesus Christ comes back, he is not coming back to take sides. He is coming to take over, okay? He's not coming back as a Democrat. He's not coming back as a Republican. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, He's not coming back as an American. He's not coming back as a Middle Eastern. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he comes back, that is how he's going to come. He's going to come to reign and to rule as the lion that he is. He's no longer coming as the Lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. No, his second coming, he's coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That is how Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, is going to return on this earth. This is the return or the second coming of Christ. And when he comes again, he is going to do A few things as we read in the book of Isaiah and as we continue to read and affirm uh, in the book of Revelation. Go with me to verse 19 in Revelation 19. In verse 19 of Revelation 19, it says this. And I saw the beast who is the beast, the Antichrist. The one who opposes God and is going to set himself up as if he were God. This is the beast or the Antichrist, he says, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies all gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So when Jesus Christ comes back, his second coming, he comes back to this earth. He comes as king of kings, as lord of lords. He comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The beast, the false prophets, the leaders of this world are going to come against him. They're going to try to come against him and defeat him. Okay, But then it says here in verse 20, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of the fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So exactly what Isaiah prophesied. That when this rod that shoots forth from Jesse comes, he's going to shoot a sword out to slay all the wicked. Okay? And he's starting right now here. He takes the Antichrist or the beast, he takes the false prophet, he throws them alive into the lake of fire. Then he speaks a word, and all of the wicked are slain. Okay? Jesus has returned, and he has done away with wicked. With all the wicked that is on this earth, on this world, he has now done away with it, including, watch this, Satan. At least for a time. If you keep reading in Revelation 20 verse 1, Revelation 20 verse 1 says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid a hold of the dragon... Who is that? Well, the serpent of old. Well, who is that? Well, who is the devil? Well, who is that? And Satan. Okay, Just in case you're missing it. (laughs) He gives them all the names of this of this being. The dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him. He lays a hold of him and bounds him for a thousand years. So now he's taken the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. He's already thrown them into the lake of fire. They are done. <laughs> but he takes Satan. He doesn't throw him into the lake of fire just yet. He puts him in the bottomless pit, and he seals it up for a thousand years. Why a thousand years? Please, somebody have that question during Q&A, okay? Somebody ask me that question, okay? <laughs> he seals them up for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more, watch this, till the thousand years were finished. Which means he's going to get out. What, for good behavior? <laughs> he's he's going to make parole? What, what's going on with him getting out? Ask me that question during Q&A, please, okay? Okay. <laughs> But after these things, the Bible says he must be released for a little while. Okay, Ask me that question when we get there. All right. We don't have time to go into it now. So let's continue. (laughs) This is how Jesus Christ is going to come. Okay, again, he's not coming as the Lamb of God who is slain. He is coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is coming as king of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming to rule and to reign with a rod of iron. He is not going to mess around, play around. He is going to rule in righteousness and he is going to rid the world of all wickedness. The beast, the false prophet, all the sinners who came against him, he's going to lock Satan up even for a thousand years there will be no sin going on at all whatsoever when Jesus Christ comes back. Okay? <laughs> he is going to clean house as it were. Okay, Why is that? Because before you can cure what is cursed you have to get rid of the cause. Okay? Say it again. Before you can cure What's been cursed, you have to first get rid of what caused it to begin with, okay? My mother-in-law, thank y'all so much for praying for her, but she just had a procedure done yesterday. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Thank God it was stage one. Thank God it was not in her lymph nodes. Thank God it did not spread anywhere. So what the doctors were able to do was they were able to go in and remove what was causing the cancer. <laughs> they were able to do that, okay? <laughs> Why? (laughs) Because before you can cure what's been cursed, you have to remove what caused it. Jesus Christ is going to do the very same thing with this world. Before he cures this world from the curse of this world, he has to first remove what caused the curse to begin with. And what caused the curse to begin with was sin. That's why you see this even in the two words. I find this fascinating. God showed me this. But we call this uh, message going from cursed to cured, right? From cursed to cured. Well, what is the difference between cursed and cured? How do you go from cursed to cured? Simple. You remove the S, okay? (laughs) You remove the S and you get cured. (laughs) Remove the S from cursed. What's left is The S stands for sin. Okay. So all all Jesus is going to do, he's gonna remove the S, and what's gonna be left is a cured world. A cured earth. Okay. He has to come first and remove what caused it to begin with in order to cure it. So now that God has rid the world of what has caused the curse. He now can cure it again. To cure or to restore means to return to. If you're going to cure someone of cancer, that means you're going to return their health back to what it was before the cancer. So to cure or to restore means to return to or to reinstate, or in other words, it means to bring back to its original state. That's what it means to cure. That's what it means to restore. It means to return or to bring back to its original state. And that's exactly what God is going to do. The world as it is, isn't how the world has always been. There was an original state to this world, okay? Unfamiliar to us because all we've known is The world we live in right now that's all we know but it didn't always be like this there was an original state to this world that God is going to bring everything back to how do we know this well if you go to the very beginning of your Bible Genesis 1 when God begins to create the world the heavens and the earth you will see at the end of every process of creation this one phrase and what phrase is that And it was good. (laughs) And it was good. After every time God made something, caused something to come into existence, he would follow it up by saying, and it was good. (laughs) God made the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And he said, and it was good. God made the firmament, said it was good. God made the water, said it was good. He separated the waters from the land, said it was good. He created all of the beasts of the field, said it was good. Every time God created something, he followed it by saying, and it was good. So this is not the original world God created. You may have this conversation with non-believers, with atheists. Wow, if this is the best God can do, then he must not be a very good God. No, this is not the world God created. (laughs) This is not the original state of the world God created. No, the world God created was very good. And he let us know it was good throughout the process of creation. But something happened. Something happened, just like that trainer went from being fit to being fat, to being fit again, the same thing happened to our world. It went from being good to being bad. It went from being stable to being fallen. It went from being blessed to being cursed. So what brought that on? Well, the act of Adam not only brought sin on himself, not only brought sin upon everybody who was in Adam, which is all of us because we all came from Adam, but it also brought sin and a curse on all of creation. (laughs) What Adam did, okay, when he sinned, when he disobeyed God, when he rebelled against God, not only did that bring sin upon himself and sin upon everybody in him, it also brought sin upon this world, sin upon all that God had created. How do we know this? Well, Romans 8.18, you go to Romans 8.18, Paul is going to let us know that. The sin was not just on Adam, was not just on humanity, but it was on all of creation. Romans 8:18 8, says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time were not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The reason why you are excited about heaven, the reason why I am excited about heaven. It's because we know and understand that we have a hope that things are going to be better than they are now. Okay? okay? I have this hope. I don't care how bad my life is. I don't care what I'm going through. I don't care what I'm struggling with. I have this hope that what I am going through cannot be compared to what I'm going to receive one day. When God calls me home or He comes back for us, I am believing in hope that that life is going to be so much better than this life. That is the hope humanity has who is found in Christ Jesus. But humanity is not the only one who has that hope. (laughs) Creation also has that same hope. Keep reading. It says, for the earnest expectation, what you are knowing is going to come, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The Bible says you're not the only one waiting. (laughs) You're not the only one hoping. You're not the only one uh, knowing that the life to come is going to be better than the life that is right now. You're not the only one. The Bible says creation is expecting that as well. He says for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of god paul here says that creation itself creation as well will also be delivered Creation is waiting to be delivered. Creation is waiting to be set free. Creation is waiting for the second return of Christ. Why? That he may restore what was lost. Creation knows that a cure is coming as well. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Together until now. I would offer you today that before the fall, there was no such thing as an earthquake. (laughs) I would offer you today before the fall, there was no such thing as a tornado. I would offer you today before the fall, there was no hurricanes, there there was no tsunamis or typhoons or floods. There was nothing like that before the fall. (laughs) Nothing. But once the fall came, once sin entered the world, once this world became cursed, that's when all hell began to break loose on this earth. Why? Because now it went from being holy and blessed of God to being cursed by sin. So now the Bible says even creation is groaning, even creation is moaning and expecting and waiting for the day when Jesus Christ returns. And he calls it birth pains. What does that mean? Well, if you go to the book of Matthew, when Jesus talks about the end times and the second coming, he says, What will be the signs of these things? You will see earthquakes, right? And famines, and pestilence, and wars, and rumors of wars, and all kinds of things are gonna be happening. He said, Well, wait a minute. We've always had that. This world has always seen earthquakes and, and famines and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars. Yes, but he says it's going to be like birth pains. And if you've ever been pregnant or been around somebody pregnant, what happens when you get closer to that due date? <laughs> they become more frequent and more intense. The contractions, right? <laughs> Those contractions become more frequent and more intense the closer you get to due dates. Well, in the same way, this world, Jesus said, is going to begin to moan and groan with birth pains. The closer we get to the return of Christ, because the world creation is also expecting the world creation is also hoping to be restored and cured as well. I know what you're saying. Pastor, that sounds great and all, but what does that have to do with the lion laying down with the lamb? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Go with me to Genesis 1. Go back to the beginning of your Bible to Genesis 1, verse 29. In Genesis 1, 29, this is before the fall. Before Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, before they brought sin and a curse upon themselves and upon this world, this is before that, okay? Notice what God says in Genesis 1, 29. It says, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed see to you, it, what? The herb, it, the fruit bearing tree, it shall be food for you. What did God give us for food? <laughs> he gave us the herbs. He gave us the plants. He gave us vegetation. He gave us fruit, fruit bearing trees. That is what God gave humanity for for food before the fall. But not only did he he give humanity herb and vegetation and plants and fruit and vegetables and all that for food, he gave that for everybody. (laughs) Watch this. Also, next verse, verse 30. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I, God, have given every green herb for food. (laughs) And it was so then God saw that everything he had made and indeed it was very good, the Bible says, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Translation, All of creation was vegetarian. (laughs) All of creation was vegetarian. Okay. Nobody was eating meat. Man was not eating meat. Animals was not eating meat. Everybody had the same food. The herb, the food fruit-bearing tree, the, the plants, uh, what, what, whatever grew naturally, that's what was food for everybody, not just mankind but the animals alike. Everybody ate this way. God gave the herb of the grass or the, uh, of the field to everybody for food. However, something changed after sin entered the world. Something drastically changed once sin entered the world. How do we know that? Well, now go to Genesis chapter 9. Now, Genesis chapter 9 is after the fall. Genesis chapter 9 is after Adam brought sin into this world. Sin upon himself. Sin upon everybody in him. Sin even on creation. Genesis chapter 9 is after that. And after God calls Noah and his family and saves them and wipes all the wicked out with the flood. When they step off the boat, he's going to give them a different set of instructions now. Now in Genesis 9, 1, it says, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. The same instructions he gave Adam and Eve in the beginning. But now what's changed in the set of instructions is the next verse. It says, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that moves on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. every moving thing that lives shall be what? Food for you. Last time I checked, herbs don't move, okay? (laughs) Vegetation doesn't move, (laughs) okay? Plant life doesn't move, fruit doesn't move, but now God says every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things even as the green herbs. So he didn't Take out the green herb. He says, you know, way back when with Adam and Eve, I just gave them the green herb for food. Now I'm giving you all living things that move as I did with the green herb. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with you enjoying your steak, you enjoying your hamburger, you enjoying your pork chops. God says in his word, I have given you those things. There is something that has happened. (laughs) that took place after the fall, okay? He says, (laughs) but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. That was the only stipulation. You shall not eat flesh that has its life in it. You should not eat flesh that still has its blood in it. That was the only stipulation. But after the fall, after the flood, when Noah and his family gets off the boat, different set of instructions concerning food. They now are able to kill and eat, including the animals. Including Can you imagine the first time an animal killed another animal to eat it? I mean, imagine when the lamb was hopping around and jumping on the lion before the fall. and Hey, what's going on, buddy? What are you doing? Now, all of a sudden, he's got his mouth around his neck. (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Something changed. (laughs) Something happened after the fall. Something snapped. (laughs) And there was a great transformation that took place with all of creation. Before, it was like Madagascar. Y'all remember that movie? You had the lion, you got the hippo, you got the zebra, all of them hanging out, chilling, having a good time together. (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, the lion is coming after the zebra. The lion now is wanting to eat the hippo. Something changed. Something happened when sin entered the world, when sin entered creation. So when Christ comes back, when Jesus Christ makes his second appearance on this earth, not the rapture, but when he literally physically comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, if he is going to right the wrong, if he is going to restore the wicked, if he is going to fix the fall, if he is going to cure the curse, that would have to include this part as well. All right? If God is going to do that, and he is, (laughs) if he's going to come back to right every wrong and fix the fall and cure the cursed, it would have to include this part of it as well. He's going to take us back to original state, back to the beginning where there is no killing of anyone for any reason, including for food. There will be no killing. There will be no hurt. There will be none of that going on when Jesus Christ comes back. Not even for food. He is going to right every wrong. He's going to fix the fall. He's going to cure the curse. And that means he's going to take us back to original state. And in original state, there was no killing. In original state, there was no hunting for food. Original state, there was no eating of the flesh. We ate the herbs. We ate the fruit, the vegetation. So that's why if you now go back to Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 11, that's where you will see the lion laying with the lamb. And not only will you see the lion laying with the lamb, you will see everybody laying with everybody. (laughs) Because nobody is killing. Nobody is hunting. Nobody is eating. He says in Isaiah 11 verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. (laughs) The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf And the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. (laughs) Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw just like the ox. God says, I'm taking us back to original state. I'm telling you that nobody will be killing. <laughs> nobody will be hunting. Nobody will be doing any of that. The bear and the cow will graze alike. <laughs> Everybody is going back to being vegetarians. Everybody. Both man and beast. Including us, okay? To so, know you. Yeah. Enjoy your, your porterhouse steak while you can. <laughs> Enjoy your pork chops and your fried chicken and all that. <laughs> because when Jesus comes back, when Jesus returns, there will be none of that going on. Okay. So, wow, that's, that's going to be dull. That's going to be boring. No, it won't be. Look, we have something called the impossible burger right now, right? The impossible burger is made from vegetation, <laughs> Now, if man can take vegetables and make it taste like a burger, what do you think God can do? Okay? It will not be boring. It will not be dull. You will not miss it at all. Okay? But it is going to be back to original state. Not only will we not kill to eat, no one and no thing will kill anyone and anything for any reason when Jesus comes back. Isaiah 11, 8 tells us this. Isaiah 11 8 says this the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. You have small children playing with snakes. You have two-year-olds going into vipers and pulling out cobras and and black mamas, shout out Kobe. You have all these kids going out and pulling out these vipers and these snakes and playing with lions and, and hyenas and all kinds of things without fear. Why? Because nobody is killing anybody when Jesus comes back. Nobody is hurting anybody when Jesus comes back. God is bringing everything back to original state. So you have these children who are playing with what we deem poisonous and dangerous right now. Why is it poisonous and dangerous right now? Because we live in a fallen world right now. We live in a cursed world right now. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to remove the S from the cursed and cause it to be cured. He says this in the next verse. They shall not hurt nor destroy or kill in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be, what? Full of the knowledge of the Lord. What does full mean? Full. (laughs) That means there is no room for anything else. Full means full. The whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is how it's going to be when Jesus returns. No nook, no cranny, no crevice, no behind closed doors, no underneath the, the uh, blankets. None of that is going on. Every single place of this earth will be covered by the glory and the knowledge of Almighty God. His light will shine everywhere, there will be no darkness. On this earth and it is then when the lion will lay down with the lamb (laughs) when the lion who is the lamb comes to bring peace on earth that is when the lion will lay down with the lamb I'm reminded of the movie the lion king I use this all the time but I think it Uh, goes well with what we're talking about today. But you remember the Lion King, what it was about. The lions lived at Pride Rock, right? That's where the lions rule. One day, Simba, he woke up his dad and said, hey, you promised to show me the kingdom, right? You promised to show me the kingdom. He said, all right, all right, I'm up, I'm up. And they go to the cleft of a rock here, and they look out, and Mufasa says, Simba, look out. And he says, Everywhere the light touches is what? Our kingdom. <laughs> everywhere the light touches belongs to us. Everywhere the light touches is our kingdom. Simba began to look around. He says, wow, everywhere the light touches is our kingdom. But then something catches him out of the corner of his eye. He says, but what about that shadowy place over there, Dad? <laughs> what about that dark place over there? Mufasa said, no, that's not part of our kingdom. <laughs> You must never go there. And what Simba was talking about was something called the elephant graveyard, where death was, where the hyenas ruled. Well, in the story, one day the king dies and the heir to the throne runs away. And when that happens, the hyenas take over. The wicked take over. And it's not long before Pride Rock looks just like the elephant graveyard. Oh, but one day the king returns, right? (laughs) One day the king returns, and when he returns, he does away with the wicked, and he restores Pride Rock back to its original state. Hollywood just bit that from the original story okay (laughs) they just they just copied it from the original story because that is exactly what jesus christ is going to do when he returns he's going to rid the world of all wickedness he's going to remove the s from the cursed and cause it to become cured he's going to bring this world back to its original state what hollywood depicts as fantasy god is going to make reality this world is going to go from cursed to cured. Amen. Amen. Give to a hand for his word today, if you will.